and welcome back to season 10 of Feasting on Truth. And welcome back to our study called Unexpected Savior, an inductive Bible study on the Gospel of Mark. I'm Erin Warren, and I am so glad that you are here. We will be jumping back in next week with Mark chapter 9, but I wanted to do a review teaching for us since it's been a while. Um, This is a high-level teaching just really focusing on the big theme, structure, and truths that are found in this book. Um, Anytime we're studying a um, section of scripture over a long period of time, it's always good for us to go back and remember what we have studied. And I want to invite you to join us live on Tuesday nights on Zoom for this study. Even though we're in the middle of Mark, you are welcome to jump in. Just go to feastingontruth.com slash Bible study to sign up and get all the information for that. All right, here we go. Here is your midpoint review on Mark chapters one through eight. Hey y'all, welcome back to Unexpected Savior, an inductive Bible study on the Gospel of Mark. I have missed you over this break, um, but and I'm really excited to get back into it. But before we jump into Mark 9, um, which will come out next week, I wanted um, us to just take a moment to review Mark 1 through 8. Anytime we're studying scripture over a long period of time, like we are doing, doing one chapter a week, um, it's always good to kind of remind ourselves what um, a little bit of the context and kind of the overarching themes. Um, So I wanted to to take some time to do that today. Um, But before I do that, let me open us up in a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for the truths about who you are and the truths about faith that we see in the gospel of Mark. I thank you so much um, for this book that at the surface looks like a flyby kind of dismiss, uh, easy to dismiss um, story of, of you, but God, I just thank you for the richness that is found in these words. I thank you for the inspiration over them. And I just pray over my mouth as I um, teach your word, Lord, may I divide it rightly. Uh, May it bring you glory and may your truth be what is shared. Lord, um, I humbly ask that you enter this time and teach us. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. So as I said, um, it's always good in a in a long study to kind of stop and come back to um, the the um, just the simple kind of reminding ourselves high level. One of the other reasons I love doing this is because sometimes we pick up on things in Mark four, five, six, and then we go back and we recognize that that some of those three those threads and those themes um, were were there all along. So. Let's start with um, intro and context. Always super important because we need to set the lens through which we're going to study. John Mark um, is the author of Mark. Um, He has a fascinating story. So if you want to hear more about him, um, you can go back and listen to the intro and context episode if you haven't done that before. But um, he is most famously known as the guy who split up Paul and Barnabas. he is Barnabas's cousin, and um, he has such a beautiful story of reconciliation. And I think that it is not on accident um, that 
um, God um, ordained that he would be the one who would write what we consider the earliest gospel written. Um, it is also the shortest gospel written, and it's written to a Gentile audience. It's the only gospel written primarily to Gentiles. And so um, it's a fascinating book. Um, it, Like I said, it was the earliest. Um, it was written somewhere in the late 50s to mid 60s is what um, scholars believe, but most believe that it was probably after 64 AD. 64 AD is a marker in the church because that is the burning of Rome. And it is after that time that there was ushered in an intense persecution of Christians, both not only from the government, but from um, their their Jewish, uh, the Jewish non-believers. So the, the people who remained Jewish, but did not um, become Jewish Christians. And so um, there's so many themes of suffering within the gospel of Mark. And so that is one of the reasons why um, many believe that it was written after 64 AD. Um, there's themes of the suffering servant Messiah. Um, Mark shows the divine grief of Jesus. Um, this is why it is called unexpected savior. They were expecting a king and instead, um, they are called toward suffering and they have a Messiah who lays down his life, um, as we will see in the second half. Um, Craig S. Keener in the IVP Bible background commentary says, thus Mark wrote to a community that needed to be reminded that God hears prayers and would work through their witness and faith. They also needed to be reminded that this might cost them their lives in persecution. Finally, they would be reminded through the failures of the disciples in Mark that if they had not yet achieved the radical lifestyle their, the Lord's words demanded, that he would still work with them patiently to help them get to that level of commitment. And that, to me, has been one of the most eye-opening and fascinating aspects of the gospel of Mark that we have seen. Um, I call it the seed of faith. And that's what we see throughout the gospel of Mark is... Um, we talked about the disciples never fully get who Jesus is within the canon of Mark. And so um, it would be a reminder to this early church, they would be first, late first, early second generation Christians who would be reading this letter, who would be facing persecution, and potentially were putting the disciples on pedestals because they could see the great work that they had done. And to be reminded of where they started, that it, that it wasn't them, that it was Jesus. And we see this great distinction in the gospel of Mark of the difference between who Jesus is and who the disciples are. And they, um, as we have seen, they don't get it. And it's the same for us. And it's a hope for us as well that we grow in faith, that faith starts as a seed and then it is something that continues and bears fruit. Um, Craig S. Keener also said in his same commentary, um, that finally, they would be reminded that through the failures of the disciples in Mark, that if they had, oh, I just read that. So um, remind, remembering that he is patient and long-suffering and, um, and that he walks with us and continues to um, grow faith in us as we go. So let's jump into scriptures. Um, Mark 8. So 
Um, Mark 1 through about halfway through Mark 8 is the first section. Most of this takes place around Galilee, and it answers the question, who is Jesus? And we open with a creation narrative. Um, creation narratives are found throughout scripture. So you'll see things that kind of mirror um, creation, and they usually mark um, big, important entries um, of certain things. So we see a creation narrative around um, the Red Sea, and it's this birthing of a nation. Um, we see a creation narrative, um, we see a decreation, and then a recreation narrative with Noah in the ark. Um, and so we see that here. We see Jesus coming as the second Adam, the more and better Adam, who passed through the waters where the Spirit was hovering over the water. And we hear the voice of the Father saying, um, I am well pleased, which mirrors back to it is good. Um, and then we see Jesus being forced out into the wilderness in a similar way that Adam and Eve were forced out of the garden, except in the wilderness, Jesus fulfills what Adam could not. He perfectly resists the temptation of Satan and he fulfills what the first Adam could not. So we see Jesus as the more and better Adam. Um, all of this is to kind of remember, to reiterate who Jesus is. Um, and we see these big themes. He's He came to restore what is broken. Um, he came to defeat Satan. He came, uh, he overcomes sickness. He makes us clean. Um, he teaches with authority. He has authority over demons, health, wild animals. So we see this theme. And that was one of your questions in your book in those first eight chapters is what does Jesus have authority over. Um, authority means the power to act. So he has, that's what the Greek word means. So Jesus has the authority to act in these certain areas and over these certain things. Um, and then we have our theme verses in verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this is a theme we're going to see over and over and over here. Believe bear fruit. Um, and chapter one ends with him withdrawing from the crowds um, and saying that he needs to fulfill his mission, that he came to preach. And I think that's a really important distinction because I think a lot of times we think Jesus came to heal or Jesus came to do the good things, but he came to preach the good news that he had come um, and that salvation was here. Um, in Mark 2, we see this theme of authority continue. Um, we see the four friends, we see the seed of faith that they would tear the roof off to get the uh, their friend to Jesus's feet. Um, and we see that Jesus has not only um, power to heal, he has authority to forgive sins, which was something only God can do. So this is a statement where Jesus says, I am God, and he has authority over the law. We see um, several um, insider outsider motifs. Um, and that's a big theme that we see. Um, this um, structure that Mark kind of employs that that the people you would think would be on the inside are actually on the outside and the people you think would be on the outside are on the inside. Um, we see Jesus eating with sinners. And this is one that we often misapply because we think of the Pharisees as being the people in the church. And we think, well, 
you know, we need to go spend time with people outside the church. But the truth is that there's this tiny little phrase in there for there were many who followed him. This is after the calling of Matthew, Levi, um, the tax collector. There were many who followed him. So we see the humility of these sinners' hearts to say, I want to hear more about who this Jesus is and the pride of the religious leaders who stand on the outside and say, this isn't what we want. Um, and at the end of that chapter, he begins um, showing that he has authority over Sabbath. Now, this kind of bridges between chapters two and three. Um, Nancy Guthrie in her book, um, Even Better Than Eden, says legalism devoid of love for God robbed Sabbath of its intended purpose and meaning, turning it into a burden instead of a gift. So Jesus has come to restore Sabbath. He says um, in verses 27 and 28, Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of Sabbath. So he has come to restore Sabbath, what it was in originally intended to be. And we see that play out in um, the beginning of Mark 3, um, that Jesus comes to restore what has been broken. Um, he It opens with the story of him healing the man with the withered hand. He came to restore. Um, in Mark, the miracles are almost always physical examples of a spiritual concept or truth. And so we see this juxtaposition of him saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, and then showing a miracle that explains not only how he is Lord of the Sabbath, but what he has come to do for Sabbath. Um, the original intent, and we went back to the law of first mention in Exodus um, to understand the original intent of Sabbath, that Sabbath is about refreshment. And it's this word being breathed on. Um, it's about feasting in God's presence, trusting in his provision. And that is not what the Pharisees had made it. And we see this moment, this man of sorrows moment, where he we see the divine grief of Jesus over the Pharisees' hardened hearts. Um, but he came to restore what was broken. Um, he calls the first um, 12 disciples, and then we get our first Mark and Sandwich. I don't know why it makes me so happy. Maybe it's because I love feasting on truth, and so we're going to literally feast on a sandwich here. Um, Mark and Sandwiches are spaces, um, there's nine of them, no, yes, nine of them in the book of Mark, where he starts a story, interrupts it, and then comes back and finishes the story. And that middle section is what kind of helps um, define and understand the concept that Mark is trying to um, tell us. And so um, we see this line, Jesus is going out to, um, Jesus' family is going to seize him. And then um, we get interrupted with the story of the scribes accusing Jesus of being Satan. Um, and the central verse of that and the theme of it is verse Mark 3, 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. And then it goes back and it picks up with the mothers and brothers arriving to take him. And he says that whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so the central idea is that Jesus cannot be bound. Nobody can bind him, but he came to bind Satan and to take back 
what was his. That is rule over the earth. That is our hearts surrendered to him. What Satan came to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus came to restore back to him. We see that he has authority over Sabbath, unclean spirits, the definition of family, and even Satan. And then we get to Mark 4. I loved Mark 4, y'all. It is the literal seed. So we have several parables. We have four parables, all with this theme of something small that becomes something big. We see the multiplication of a seed. We have the parable of the sower, which is really more the parable of the seed, um, the lamp under a basket, the seed growing, and the mustard seed. Um, I'm not going to go into all of those right now for time. And if you want to go back through, um, you can go listen to the Mark 4 teaching. But here were the big truths. We had this repeated phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, that Greek word for ear was not merely talking about the body part, the ear, it is um, metaphorically equivalent to the faculty of perceiving with the mind. It is the understanding and the knowing. So he's saying those who have the ability to hear and understand and know, hear what I'm about to say. We cross-reference to Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And this is where we get that definition of faith. James R. Edwards calls it Mark's definition of faith. Hear, believe, bear fruit. It is goes back to the theme verse. Um, hear the good news and repent. That's that believing and that turning from the way that you have been living to living in his way, which bears fruit. Um, and so uh, verse 20, it says, the one who hears the word, accept it and bear fruit. And what I love about this is that fruit in and of itself, um, I just released my new book, um, Everyday Prayers for Faith, Finding Confidence in God No Matter What. And it, um, so I've been talking a lot about faith recently. And um, one of the things that I think we have misunderstood about faith is that faith is not one of those things that when we say yes to Jesus and we surrender, we have all the faith we need forever. It is something that starts as a seed and then grows. Um, it is something that continues to, um, to be moved in us so that, um, that we are continually in process. And so I think this is where we get a lot of um, things where um, we see like questions of faith and you think, well, why am I questioning my faith? Well, it's because it is imperfect and it is growing. And that's what we're seeing with the disciples. Um, and that's what we see in our life. And all of this in Mark chapter four is punctuated by um, the calming of the storm. And we see the literal power of God's word, that he has authority even over nature. Um, and over the waves, um, which to them would have also signified um, power over the evil spirits um, and the unclean spirits. And so he's, the disciples are wondering, who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? Y'all, Jesus is God. And that is what he is, Mark is continuing to remind us and to teach us. Jesus is God and we are not. We are called to hear, believe, and follow and bear fruit. Um, then we get to Mark 5, which I also really love. Um, 
it was this was the one where we saw the themes of clean versus unclean. Um, it starts with them arriving on shore across the way. Um, and there's the demon possessed man by the caves. And this was the one that had all the unclean things. They're in a Gentile territory. They're among tombs, which would be dead bodies, which were unclean. There were pigs. There were pig herders. <laughs> there were the unclean spirits. Um, Mark 5, 3 through 4 says of this man that he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but had wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Jesus subdues what no human could not. He sends the um, the unclean spirits out of the man. They want to go into the pigs. The pigs go over the cliff. Everyone gets mad. They ask him to leave. Um, this man too, as a Gentile, is the first person who's told to go and tell. And the reason for that is that um, Jesus wants to set the record straight. He is not a mystic. Um, he is not somebody who is a magician. Um, he wanted them in that area, the Decapolis, it says he went around the Decapolis proclaiming who Jesus was and what he had done for them. And we're going to see that come back in a few chapters, um, some of the fruit of this man's testimony, quite possibly. Um, so let's move. Oh, and then, so we get um, another Mark and Sandwich. In chapter, um, at the end of chapter five, this is Jairus's daughter and the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. So it starts, then there's the story with the woman, and then it comes back to the little girl. So we see Mark employ a lot of irony here. Um, the woman touching Jesus would make him unclean. And we went back to that law in Leviticus and understood um, one, how desperate this woman must have been, what her life would have been like um, living with bleeding for 12 years, being separated, cut off. Um, again, she had spent her entire wealth. No human could cure her. There was nothing anyone could do. And her touching Jesus should make him unclean, but the opposite happens. Instead, um, she is made clean. And we see that again with um, this dead little girl, that for Jesus to touch a dead body would have made him unclean, but instead um, it brings her to life. And so we see that Jesus does what no human effort can do. There's nothing you can do to make yourself clean. There's nothing you can do to bring yourself back to life. We are dead and we are sinners and we are unclean. And he came to restore, to make us clean and to make what was dead alive. And it's only through Jesus. Um, in Mark six, we see the parable of the seed played out. Like I was really, this is one of those. I was like, oh my goodness. Um, so there's this side kind of thing where we see these four different types of seeds kind of played out in the, in Mark chapter six, but we also see um, this um, really powerful kind of move where we start with Jesus being rejected at Nazareth. Um, he could do no mighty work there. So this is where we see that insider outsider again. 
we would expect him to be the hometown hero. We would expect everyone to be like, hey, it's Jesus, y'all, like he's back. Hooray, look at this guy. But instead, they're like, who do you think you are? You're Joseph the carpenter's son. You're not anything special. And it says um, in verses five and six, he could do no mighty work there. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So it starts out with no mighty work, no belief, no faith. Um, and so he moves on and we see um, Mark and sandwich number four here. Um, Jesus sends out the 12. And then in the middle, we have this story of John the Baptist. And then we come back to the um, the 12 um, returning. And that middle story, and I will admit, this one was a little harder for me to figure out. I did have to kind of go to some commentaries to figure this one out. But it's that there is a cost to following Jesus. Um, but here's what I love. Um, it, you know, for all but one of these disciples, it meant death. It meant martyrdom. Um, there is a huge cost to following Jesus. But what we see in the next miracle that follows this, we see that there is nowhere else to go. Who else can satisfy like Jesus? Um, after the 12 return, he takes them to a desolate place. The crowds follow um, and this is where we have the feeding of the 5,000. We see in verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Not just that they were hungry and they had no food. Um, and I think we miss that sometimes. We think, oh yeah, God provided food when they need when they were hungry. It was so much deeper than that. They were people who were longing for someone to lead, to lead them. He saw compassion carries in it. I see the state you are in and I want to do something to alleviate it. And so he came and this one, while I have tried uh, mostly to stay true to Mark's gospel and not compare against the other gospels, because the other gospels add more things that help us better under, um, but I really wanted to focus with the way that Mark tells the story and um, the, um, the structure within it. But here, um, I did go to John chapter six, because I think it helps us better understand the what was going on between the lines. Um, Jesus, this is where he says that he is the bread of life. Um, we see that they are sheep without a shepherd, and we know that Jesus is the good shepherd. Um, I love that in this desolate place, he gives them green grass to sit on. I can't wait to get to heaven and find out if that was a miraculous, like, sprouting of grass in the moment. <laughs> um some people indicate that it means that they were in spring and that even in desolate places, there's green grass. And there's a whole nother lesson there too. But um, he multiplies what is little and he makes it much. So we see that theme of multiplication again. And it says they all ate were and were satisfied so much that there were 12 baskets left over. Y'all, Jesus is our satisfaction. He is the bread of life. Only he can do, um, can give us what, what we need, what will satisfy. Yes, it will be costly, but where else will you go? Um, and so, and I love too, that we see Jesus working through the disciples. Um, this would have been so, um, encouraging to the people. So we see Jesus work through the disciples to take what was little and make much, which is exactly what they are. He works through the disciples to take a seed of faith and make it much. Um, and they are the inheritance of the seed of faith from the disciples. And then 
Um, again, we get into a boat and y'all, this was a beautiful threefold picture that punk that like puts the exclamation point on the answer to who is Jesus. Um, there were three little things that happened or were said, um, and it says meant to pass them by. And I always wondered, I was like, what, what does that mean? Like he was just going to walk by them, but, um, the original language is similar to the language of God's presence passing by Moses in the cleft of the rock in Exodus 33 and 34. So it's a point back to the fact that it's a godly presence passing before them. So it points to the fact that he is God. Um, there is um, walking on water, which we read in Job 9, 8, was only something God could do. And then he says, it is I, and it is literally, I am. He is saying, I am God. Um, and the disciples, they don't see it. And and Jesus, it talks about their heart and hearts here, but it's not like the religious leaders who heart, who refused to hear hardened. It relates more to this slow in perceiving. Um, and so then, and this is what I love, chapter started with no faith, no mighty work few people healed and it ends in Gennesaret and the people see Jesus, they believe, they have faith, they come and he heals many. All right, we got two more chapters to go. I'm going to wrap this up quick here. <laughs> I'm going to try. It gets better and better, y'all. Okay, so Mark chapter seven um, starts religious leaders testing Jesus around this idea of washing hands. Um, we have that. Um, and then he, he makes a huge accusation of them and it's a good reminder for us to be wary of where we are adding to God, adding to his word, adding to his rules. Um, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Um, and he goes and talks about and redefines what makes us unclean because there was this perception that it was all these external things that were actually very good, but all these things out here are what make us not good. And Jesus says, no, it is what is inside that defiles you? You're evil in and of yourself. You don't need any of this to make you evil. You are evil in and of yourself. And this is another space where we see him privately revealing um, the meaning to his disciples, um, which I think has been an important theme that um, personal ministry is hard with a crowd and how he reveals the secret things to the, to the ones that he came to pour into. Um, and I think it's a good reminder for us, um, as our culture tells us to get more big followers is that, um, we're called to what's right in front of us. And Jesus, um, was able to do a lot with just a little, he doesn't work in the same economy. <laughs> All right. Um, and then we have a huge insider outsider motif. So we have this Gentile woman, the Syrophoenician woman, um, and this one required cultural commentary because on the surface, it looked really um, rude of Jesus. But at the core, um, Jesus, this is from the IVP Bible background commentary from Craig S. Keener again. Jesus is making an illustration. The children must be fed before the pets. And the Jewish, therefore, had the first claim, um, Exodus 4.22. The statement would still sound offensive, but the woman surmounts the obstacle. Sometimes obstacles were provided to give opportunity for exercising faith. He is saying that he will not heal like pagan magicians. He wants her to demonstrate faith, specifically faith in the supremacy of the true God. And she does that. She, 
she does not stumble over the obstacle, but instead uses it um, as uh, Alexander McLaren says, a stepping stone to um, faith. And so um, she persists where the Pharisees stumble and um, her faith is true and Jesus restores her daughter. And y'all, what encouragement this would have been to this Gentile audience. And I think for us too, to be reminded that um, he came for us as well. And sometimes we have to um, move past those obstacles. But as Alexander McLaren um, says, he always has the most beautiful word pictures. I love it. The honey secreted deep in the flower that we press in when we have questions of faith, when we have obstacles before us, instead of drawing back, because the further we press into Jesus, the sweeter the nectar deep within him. Um, and then again, we see at the end of this, um, another miracle that serves as a picture of the spiritual concept, the healing of the deaf mute man. And we begin to see um, that he came to make those who were deaf here. Um, it's one of my favorite moments is in verse 34, when it says he sighed and it's this Greek word stenazo, which we see, um, it's the Greek word for groaning that we also see in Romans eight. It carries this intonation that this is not the way it was meant to be and how he came, um, as a man of sorrows to do something about it. Um, we see the repeated themes of hearing the word of God, hear and repent, hear, believe, bear fruit. He who has ears, let him hear. And then we see him literally take the deaf man and the mute man who cannot hear, who is restored to hearing, and then in turn praises him. Um, and so we get to live in the era of unstopped ears and getting to see who Jesus is. I'm so thankful for that. All right. Lastly, Mark chapter eight. Um, in this um, teaching, there was, I started with a lot of context around bread and leaven. Um, I don't want to spend too much time really going deep. I just kind of high level. So halfway through this is where um, the first section ends and we move into the second section of the book of Mark. Um, you know, and what we see is the disciples still not quite getting it. <laughs> um, the feeding of the 4,000, we're like, really guys, like you literally saw him do this before. Why are you doubting? Um, he gets in the boat. They have no food. We're like, he literally just like multiplied a lot of food. I I'm pretty sure y'all are going to be okay. Um, and he's like, do you not see having ears? Do you not hear? Do you not remember? Do you not yet understand? Um, and then we see this incredible picture of what Jesus is saying is he, this two-part healing of the blind man at Bethsaida, where um, he heals them and they're like, I kind of see some, but the people, but they look like trees. And then he heals them completely. And then it's a picture of the disciples that they're beginning to perceive who Jesus is, but they don't quite get it yet. And that is evidenced in the next story where we see Peter confess Jesus as the Christ and this side of the cross, because of what that means to us, we go, well, he got it. You know, he said he's the Christ, but the truth is um, that Peter still doesn't quite understand. He's still expecting the messianic King, the military guy to come in and overthrow Rome and establish God's new kingdom here on earth. And we see that because when Jesus says that he's going to suffer many things and be rejected and be killed, but in three days rise again, 
Peter took him aside and he's like rebuking him. He still doesn't get it. He kind of gets it. He knows that he's the one. He just doesn't quite understand what that means yet. Um, and we see Jesus um, very plainly for the first time explain what's about to happen. And he called the crowd to him with the disciples. This is verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Um, he is y'all the unexpected savior. Um, he is not the conquering king, but he is the suffering servant, the man of sorrows, the savior who came, who was rejected and killed, but after three days rose again. And I can't wait to get to this part of the story. Y'all, there's a cost to following Jesus, but nothing this world can offer will do for you what Jesus can. All right, so I want to give us a little bit of setup as we keep moving. So remember, we're now in this third section where he is journeying to Jerusalem. And then in Mark chapter 11 through 16, this will be the third and final section, which takes place in Jerusalem. So use the maps in your book, track where Jesus and his disciples are. Um, I want to remind us of the structures that we see because we still um, have those at play. So you'll notice in your book that um, you no longer have the questions around the authority. Um, that's because we're moving more into the what then, you know, what um, what did Jesus come to do? And that's what we are seeing in the second half of the book. Um, remember that Mark uses irony. So the opposite of what you would expect to happen is what happens. We're looking for insider outsider motifs. Um, the people you expect to be on the inside are actually on the outside and vice versa. Y'all, there's a huge one at the cross. Um, it's, it's huge. Um, the Mark and Sandwich, we have five more left. Um, this idea of growing faith in the secret gospel, the personal ministry is hard with a crowd. So let's see how Jesus continues to grow faith, to teach and preach about who he is and why he came as the unexpected savior. Let me pray for us. Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to study Mark's words. Lord, I pray that as we enter in to these last eight um, sessions together, Lord, these chapters that um, teach us why you came. God, I just pray that you would let us have ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to perceive, so that we will be firmly rooted in our faith. Lord, that no matter what this world is throwing at us, that we will be able to find confidence knowing who you are, that you are the faithful one who, who is who you say you are and do, does all that you say that you will do. Um, enter into our time. Let your Holy Spirit guide us and teach us as you promise and help us to um, further um, lean in and press in so that we can find the sweet nectar that lies um, as we walk deeper with you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Y'all, I cannot wait. I'm so excited to be back. I have missed y'all and I am so ready to get back to studying God's word together. I've said it several times throughout this study. Mark has completely surprised me. Um, I originally picked it because of the way it so nicely breaks down into two eight-week sessions, but um, 
you know, and even in some conversations I had with some people talking about it, they'd be like, oh yeah, well, it's really short. It's a short gospel. Y'all, I thought it was that fast hitting flyby of Jesus's life, but y'all, Mark has proved how uh, masterful he is. He has organized this book that so beautifully proves to us who Jesus is and why he came. Y'all, he is our greatest hope in this world. And uh, I'm so excited to, to finish out this incredible gospel with you all. So here we go. I will see you next week from Mark chapter 9. Thank you.